0: to grab the pew bible the scripture is Luke chapter 10 verses 1 through 11 it's on page 1611. 1611 after this the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go he told them the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, Peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him, if not, it will return to you. Stay in that house. Eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Be sure of this. The kingdom of God is near.
1: Well, it's been fun uh, this month to be in this sermon series. We've been looking at different films and the connections with the scriptures and the call ultimately to engage uh, in sharing the good news of Jesus in ways that are relevant to our culture and our society. This morning, we look at a film, we'll refer to a film, McFarland USA, who is, that is one of my favorites. But I want to build into it a little bit and thinking about what it might be inviting us into or calling us to through its message. In John 1, 14, in Jesus' uh, teaching about his coming, and in Eugene Peterson's translation of it, it says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. The Greek word there, ex is literally, he pitched his tent in the world. Jesus came and pitched his tent in the world, took on flesh, lived among us at a particular time, particular point in history, for the purpose of announcing the presence of the kingdom of God. And today, he invites us, his followers, to do the same thing, to engage in connecting with people in our neighborhood, in our community, and beyond, to reflect the good news of Jesus. That's where this film comes in. Because it presents an example of someone who does that. Somebody who moves into a new community and seeks to engage in building relationships in what feels like a foreign place. And what we'll see is some of the challenges that Coach Jim White faces in the film McFarland USA are particularly related to ethnic differences. It's a primarily Hispanic community in McFarland in central, the Central Valley of California. But I would say that we also experience differences and challenges in reaching our own community for Christ. It could be differences related to economic differences, political differences and divisions. Other types of things that could be points of separation that we have to overcome in order to share the good news of Jesus in relevant ways. In the clip we're going to see in a few moments, we not only see flashes from the film that depicts the process of Coach Jim White building relationships with his students and going through the highs and lows of cultural engagement, misunderstanding, and embrace, but also the primary actor, Kevin Costner himself, sitting down with the real people that the film represents. Costner's stated desire, as you will see, was to capture Coach White's essence. We want to reflect Jesus's essence, don't we? Or presence in our personal interactions with people by going out into our community and beyond to reflect the good news of Jesus. And that is what was actually Jim White's goal too. Because I need to tell you that there were aspects of his life and coaching that Disney left out shocker Jim White and his wife were actually deeply committed Christians they infused their faith in their work with generations of runners for Jim White McFarland High's nine cross-country state championships highlighted a 40-year teaching and coaching career in real life White would have his runners pray together before every race they would pray together when they had the team over for meals. His faith in Jesus was clearly infused in the way he loved his students and his runners and believed in them and shared with them. So I invite you to watch the following clip with me as we consider its message for us. We
2: started, McFarland in particular, with, with hardly anything. It's dream come true, and it's gone full circle, and it's quite humbling. It's very really hard to believe that that's our story.
3: What did this movie do? Well, it told the story of McFarland, but it also created other relationships.
2: Well, we're out right here in a beautiful coastal California uh, having a barbecue with some friends and family. Camaraderie, getting able to get close and personal with uh, Kevin Costner, how he's uh, learned about McFarland.
4: It's extremely special because we're here with the other guys who ran with us, with our coach, with Mr. Costner. We are excited to be here. It's it's an amazing
3: day for us. The interesting thing that comes with the movies is is the people you meet while you're making them. You know, life is more important. Than it's bigger than movies it was in Sports Illustrated where I, I learned about the story and about a place that I'm a little bit familiar with it was really well written it, it really told the story beautifully and I remember having put the article down going that's, that's, a, really, that's a really great story Pretty incredible, really. You know, I competed in sports, you know. I never won a championship, let alone a state championship.
5: McFarland USA would not have been made without, you know, the other state championship teams. And they deserve a lot of credit. Some of these guys that are 35, you know, 39, 40 years old, they haven't lost much, Mr. White. You see them in street, you know, in road races. These guys are champions.
3: There's nine banners up there. So you understand that this took more than just the seven guys that did this. Because the thing about being a champion is, can you be a champion again? California's a big state. Yeah. You know, it's hard to win a championship in California. It is
5: important to note that runners come and go, and the one constant has been Mr. White.
2: Well, Coach White, he was that father figure as well. like my second dad, just like all the other athletes. So, you know, he guided me as the, like the other kids on the team to push ourselves to set goals to to better ourselves
3: it was your moment and you never need to back down from that it was your moment
6: I can remember going to your house you know talking to your mom your dad you know we got to meet today sorry they gotta work you gotta work the day you're gonna run (laughs) well in the morning yeah you can have them in the afternoon I said well okay
2: Moss and I were, were younger than Thomas and, and David, but we were in middle school, and we were, you had us running with the high school kids. And you had us prepping at an early age. You saw the future. We went from competing together in junior high up through through high school, and in 86, Mr. White gave us information, hey, in 1987, they might be a state, year, yeah. a state championship, and that's where we set goals. Hey, you know what, league, the south area meet, the section title, the CIF section title, to up top. to to the top, which would have been the 1987 state championship team.
6: We didn't do it or not do it because somebody wasn't gonna give us credit. We're gonna do it because that's what we wanted to do. Mr. White knew
2: what we had, and it was a, a brotherhood, a band of brothers.
3: The way I tried to play it was that I needed to be something to these guys it's about the only thing an older person has to offer is advice and there's almost no bond other than with your parents and you can have with a coach with a mentor there's you just walk through walls for them
2: kevin asked me would this is this the way white would talk to you guys would he be firm would he be yelled at you guys you totally put yourself out there
4: Watching you interrupt those kids reminded me of when I was 15 years old and watching Mr. White talk to me and get me to come out and run for him and get me to believe that I was going to be fast enough to to win.
3: You know, sometimes when you try to portray someone, you you are are trying to get their limp, their lisp, their whatever, you know, the kind of things that they do. And when a little bit of license is taken, for me... It became important to not try to mimic um, Jim as much as to try to have an essence. There's a level of respect for what Jim's life was.
4: We were young kids that were very impressionable. We needed someone like him to kind of gear us and and guide us out of the environment we knew. And he had this way about him. He had this way of, when he spoke to us, we believed him because even the, the words he chose to use, how he said things, made it sound like, wow, that can happen.
3: There was a moment in time when McFarland shined, and as bright as it could be, and the mythology is there now for that town, the blueprint of success, of what hard work can mean. Big things come from little places, and it's gone from being a, a story that just grew up in the Central Valley to now it's a, it's a national story and I even understand that the town itself has changed a little bit. You guys were talking about it. We
6: got a new city logo. Now it has a runner running through the field, and underneath it, it says, Tradition, Unity, and Excellence. We now have a water tank that's painted. has silhouettes of runners on it, and it has every name of every runner and a state championship. So this is how our community is coming about and Changing.
3: The other thing that's really great is that you guys came back. Jim White came back. I'm from McFarland. I always will be from McFarland. It's
2: it's it's our town. We got the opportunity to represent McFarland in a positive way. As a team member, you know we always had goals and expectations to be successful in life, whether it be in school or a career, and that's what we bring back to our community.
5: Even to this day. You can still say that a lot of them are still experiencing hardships and they're trying to overcome, you know, the same barriers that we had to deal
2: with. Working hard, trying to better our lives and as well as those that still live there, trying to be a part of their lives.
5: We're all professionals and, and we're impacting, you know, uh, kids there in McFarland where I work. I still, you know, drive by those same fields where we used to work. You know, I, I often just think to myself, man, you know, how, how life has changed
3: and it's okay to feel good about that you do the work because that's what you do it's what you choose to do and but there is something in us that wants to also be recognized In truth, these movies are these little magic moments in time, and what they're dealing with is your life. You know, you forever will have this. You're just locked in the memory of McFarland. You guys are McFarland.
5: Uno, dos, tres, McFarland!
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So uh, as a pastor, as uh, somebody seeking to help the church engage in local mission as a cross-country coach, um, there are so many themes here I could pick up on. Uh, Pray for me that I focus today uh, in our discussion. Um, But I also wanted to do my own research. We were on vacation recently and came back up through. uh, I was doing a vow renewal in Temecula. And so we got to go through McFarland. And I think, Dave, I've got a few of those pictures uh, there. If we could put those up. Next. They're not there. Okay. They should have been in the outline right after the, the clip. Uh, I got to go to McFarland and see uh, the impact that the man in the movie had on the town. If you go to the high school, there's images from the movie up on the walls in the high school as you walk in. There's clearly pride expressed as a result of how the community was changed. Uh, I got to take a picture next to the McFarland sign. And you see the runner going through a field and in the, in the three different aspects of their vision for what the community could be like. And how many towns on your water tower have cross-country running images on them? I mean, you know, on the trip I went through the Midwest several years ago now, uh, you see football, you see other things represented, the name of the town. I had never, ever experienced a town where the water tower was filled with running images and the names of those kids who had been on the state championship teams. The message, the movie, and ultimately this man, Jim White, made an incredible difference in that place. And I think it can stir our missional imagination for what the difference the church can make in a community. I remember having my missional imagination stirred when I came here. In 2012, I was in the call process to come to the church, and somebody handed me a copy of Wallace Stagner's book, The Angle of Repose. It's based out of the area in which we live, and a reflection upon the gold rush era and how it impacted who we are as a town and area today. But the main character in the book, Lyman Ward, is actually a paraplegic. He spends most of his days in his wheelchair reflecting on the past, his grandparents' experience during the gold rush. And he struggles with engaging in his present day life, his own life. He likes to spend most of his time in the past. And we could be like that too. I like to spend most of my time thinking about the past three years ago before COVID. I like to think about other times in the past where maybe life was different, had a different kind of richness, it was a different experience. But all that can keep us in an angle of repose where we're leaning back versus leaning in and leaning forward into our lives in the mission God has called us to. So how do we do that? How do we make that shift? We start to ask ourselves questions. What is God up to in this neighborhood? Where is He at work and how can we join Him there? What do we need to change in order to engage the people in our community who no longer consider church a relevant part of their lives? That is what developing a missional imagination looks like. We start to stir our minds and our thoughts in terms of how we can best reach our community for Jesus. Some reminders from the passage. The first is that the Lord is the one who initiates the mission here. In Luke 10, Jesus appoints the disciples, sends them out, and tells them to go. Jesus is on the road to Jerusalem, and he's preparing his disciples to go into those villages in Judea, just as he had sent out the twelve on a practice mission in Galilee earlier. Here, note the analogy of harvest time, the instruction to travel light, and the command to take no time for social amenities along the way and many of these themes can be found in the film. Costner's character reflecting Jim White arrives in McFarland with little to nothing to offer. He's lost his job in a previous school because he got angry at a football player and got fired. He comes to McFarlane is going to be an assistant football coach and he's quickly let go from that job but he develops a sense of imagination and how he can engage this community, seeing these kids run through the fields and t- the part of their town. And he starts to develop a vision for what it might look like to help them succeed. And as the first state championship was about to occur in California, the year I was a freshman in high school and running in Northern California, White got a vision for developing a team that could succeed. But what Jesus does is this. He appoints us. He calls us. He gives us a vision and sense of direction for going out in community to connect with our community. It is so vital, you see, that we recognize that it's the Lord who directs, sends, sometimes through circumstances and situations that are not of our doing. Sometimes it's through mistakes we've made. But when we are given a second chance to serve Christ in a given context as he calls us to, all of a sudden it makes a difference. For instance, I've had many of you share with me that you invited somebody to church who you met while waiting in a hospital waiting room. You're waiting for a procedure or surgery or an appointment, and it's the last place you want to be as a person, but all of a sudden God guides an interaction or a connection, and somebody finds a way in a point in time into our community. Others might go through uh, different experiences, like you're in a challenging job, but you build a relationship in that context, and it leads to an opportunity to witness and to share about Jesus. There are certainly people that I got to connect with on my own journey through grief in the past, a journey that I would not have wanted to go on myself, but which God used to build connections and relationships that have bound us together ever since. We need to remind ourselves that Jesus is the one who calls us into this mission and calls us to go. Clearly, from the Great Commission in Matthew 28 18 through 20, we need to see ourselves as living an appointed life. You have been appointed for a specific task to share Jesus, and you have been sent by Jesus. There in Matthew 28, Jesus says, All authority, I'm just going to say it again. All authority has been given to me, to Jesus. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Like the first disciples, we are given authority to go and are sent out by Jesus to make disciples or followers of the nations. We're to baptize. We have two baptisms we're going to do in the second service today. We're to celebrate that identification with Jesus and his inclusion into the family of God. We're also to teach people to obey Jesus. And that's Jesus' way of life and teaching, which includes everything he has commanded us, not just the parts we like, but even those parts that require us to change. All of us, all this, all the while, while we can celebrate knowing that Jesus is with us and will be true to his word, to what he tells us. You see, as someone once said, it's not that God has a mission for his church, but he has a church for his mission. His mission is to make disciples of all nations. And he started that mission by sending his son Jesus to this world to live, to suffer, to die, to rise again, to ultimately return to this earth. But in the meantime, his followers are meant to carry on his mission in his strength and empowerment, knowing that he's with us all along the way to be his ambassadors, ministers or messengers of reconciliation to seek out that which is lost. You see, Jesus sends us into the spaces and places where he is already at work in order for us to join him there and tell people that the good news, that the kingdom of God is near. I love the reality here that when Jesus sends out this group at this time, it's to spaces and places he intends to visit. There's a notice of real urgency. He knows that he, in his earthly life, will not pass that way again. And if people don't understand his mission at this time and receive its message, it may be too late. In other words, Jesus is, is a messenger or herald, and if people don't respond to him, if they reject him, there can be no subsequent warning. If they delay, it may be too late. And similarly, in our society today, more and more, the feeling is that the, the time is short. The kingdom of God is near and at hand, and now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. I don't know what more opportunities people will receive or not to welcome Jesus into their heart and their life. What I do know is there needs to be an urgency about our going and our engaging, our witnessing, our telling the story. To live a missional life is to live a life where you see yourselves as sent, into the, the community for a specific purpose. And missional churches are to enter and indwell our neighborhoods and communities incarnationally. In other words, kind of infleshing the love of Jesus in our actions and in our attitudes. A seminary professor of mine, Alan Roxburgh, said it this way. On the missional church journey, we want to pitch our tent beside the people in our neighborhoods and communities as Jesus did. Not as a program, but as a way of being the church. We want to enter those spaces and places in order to discern and discover how the Spirit will have us shape our lives as God's people. Jesus had already sent out the 12 into Galilee on kind of a a practice mission. His plan and design uh, as he sends them out two by two is relational from the very beginning. In other words, I want to pause and say the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints did not come up with the idea of sending out people two by two. Jesus did. Why did he do it that way? Because it's in the interrelationship that we have as we go that the love of Jesus is reflected between people, where there is that band of brothers that one of the runners spoke about. I saw it on our cross-country team yesterday. Uh, it was Josh's first race in Nevada Union High School's first race. We were down at Sierra College. And I saw this in two ways. One of the girls on the team, Lauren, she's probably our best teammate. She's one of our slowest runners. But she's one of the best teammates Two things happened. One of the runners was about to start his race and he realized that he had his training shoes on and he had not tied his running chip to his shoes. His running chip was with his running flats that were back at the camp. All of a sudden, Lauren comes running over and says, where's Cohen's stuff? Where's Cohen's stuff? We dug around, we found his shoes and the running chip tied to his shoes. Lauren ran back over to the start of the race. Cohen barely got his shoelaces tied up before the gun went off and the race started. Cohen would not have been able to run his race if Lauren had not helped him. Later I watched, well after Lauren had already run her race, she was warming up with one of our seniors who happened to be the only girl in that race. Lauren didn't want Isabel to feel alone where other classes of runners had a group to support them and encourage them. Isabel is building a great relationship, or excuse me, Lauren has built a great relationship with those fellow runners, and you can see the love between them. Similarly, when we go out on mission, when we run our race out in the world, it's in order to reflect the love of Jesus between us. And that love is meant to be multiplied and manifested. You see, it's not just about sending out 12 like Jesus did, now he sends out 70 and the manuscripts are kind of interesting here. Some manuscripts say it was 70. Some say it was 72 that he sent out. One way you can just look at it is it's a greater number. Some people think, oh, 6 times 12, 72, okay. But the number 70 is actually reflected in more of the manuscripts. And here's the significance. When Moses in Exodus wanted to multiply the leaders and share the leadership of, of the people of Israel, he called together 70 elders to do that. In Jesus' day, the number 70 was the number of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leadership of his day. And actually, at the time, uh, it was thought, uh, back in in, in Jesus' day, that the number of nations in the world, the number was 70. So what is Jesus doing here, according to Luke? He's calling together the leadership for a new exodus. He's calling the leadership together that can announce the salvation of God. He's putting together true spiritual leadership that doesn't just hunker down in committees and councils, like we can do sometimes as a church, but actually calls those people to go out and share the announcement that the kingdom of God is near. Because the nations need to know that the kingdom of God is near. Jesus sends out people two by two in order to reflect the love that comes in the context of community so that that can be witnessed to by other people. And we do that in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing how many people I connect with who say essentially, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm good with following Jesus. I've experienced his a relationship with him and the benefits of that relationship. They can celebrate that fact. But there's another group that kind of then sees themselves, yeah, as followers of Jesus, but would not see themselves as sent or qualified to go witness to the love of Jesus. But the fact is that this passage puts it together. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are therefore a witness to Jesus. And it's Jesus who sends us into the spaces and places we are about to go. And if he sends us there, he also says, I'm going to come into those towns. And really, the good news now we can celebrate, based on the omnipresent, always present nature of God, God is in those spaces and places where we are going. He's gone ahead of us into them, and he's going to join us there. So the good news is this. God It's God's mission. He's the one that's planned and designed it. He has chosen you as his follower. And if he's chosen you as his follower, he's also chosen you to go out and share the good news and announce the presence of the kingdom. And whenever you do that and you go, he's already there. He's already at work in those spaces and places. We get to join him there. And we also know he's going to be coming into those spaces and places increasingly. We do not go alone. We're with Him in those spaces and places. He is the Lord and it's His kingdom that has come near and is, the, is at work. The title Lord emphasizes, the Lord of the harvest emphasizes the seriousness of His call for us to go and His commissioning reflects a challenge to go and announce His lordship. And if it really is that 70 was the number of nations they thought to exist in the world, He's saying, I don't want you just to go to those who you already know or already connected with, per se, or just those people, you know, that are within your circle. I want you to go out and share above and beyond that. I want you to go to witness to the truth of who I am wherever you might go. In summary, those who come close to Jesus and and learn from him are then sent out ahead of him to introduce him to others. The 70 were to go to every space in town where he himself was about to come. And we are to go in those spaces and places too. We're meant to join Jesus there and prepare the way for Jesus to be there. One of the ways I do this as a cross-country coach is uh, most of the time in the high school, we go down to Sierra College yesterday, we usually walk the trail, right, before they're going to run. And we kind of talk to the runners about, hey, there's this hill, this is going to be a challenging part of the course. This is when you start your kick, you're close to the finish and you want to give it your all. We walk them through all that. Well, that's somewhat similar to what we do in announcing Jesus' presence and authority and community. We go ahead and we prepare the way for people to learn to follow him. And the good news is Jesus has already showed us the way himself. And so really what we're doing is just pointing to his authority, pointing to his presence, pointing to his love and the fact that he already walked this earth pitching his tent in the world. And we just need to celebrate that he's there and what he's accomplished. You see, it's God's mission, and it's announced by Jesus, but we have a part to play. And there's several action words here that reflect that. We carry out God's mission by asking the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest field. Where to go. He says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. He actually creates us with a vulnerability that leads to an interrelationship with people, as we'll talk about. He tells us to not take the things that would make life more comfortable, per se, but actually be vulnerable again and receive the hospitality of those we connect with. We're to stay in, it says, one house eating and drinking. And the metaphor there is about, you know, building relationship over a period of time because it often takes time. We're to heal the sick who are there. We're to tell them that the kingdom of God is near. Here's the truth. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And if that is true, we need to wrestle with some of our misperceptions. Because I think our perception is that the harvest isn't plentiful. That there aren't many people out there that are interested in Jesus. And we end up making a decision like, I'm not going to share because they don't really care. Are we going to make that decision for them? Or are we going to engage them with the truth of Jesus and give them the opportunity to respond and trust the results to God? Our leadership even this last Tuesday was talking about this, and some of our elders even acknowledged, like, I just don't feel like the harvest is plentiful. It just doesn't seem like people are interested. But Jesus says the harvest is plentiful. That's not the problem, according to Jesus. According to Jesus, the problem is the workers are few. There are few people engaged in witness out in the world And in our community. There needs to be more Jim Whites that engage their community for Jesus and reflect his presence in the way they live and love, and ultimately see communities transformed as a result. We think the problem is that the harvest isn't plentiful and the people aren't interested. And Jesus says the problem starts with me in that attitude and not working in the fields and not witnessing. So what do we do? We pray. We pray and we ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in the field and then we go. Did you catch it? You're to pray. Ask the Lord of the harvest, send out people and guess who the answer to his prayer is? You. Pray and go. Don't pray and say, Lord, please send somebody else because you are uniquely you. You have unique connections in your, this world. Your neighbors, your friends, your family. Only you can ultimately be that one through whom God may work and witness uniquely to someone else. Jesus said in John 4, don't ask the Lord of the harvest to you know, say four months more to the harvest and send out workers in four months. We don't know if we have four months. We have today. And we have an opportunity today to witness and invite We have an opportunity to invite people to come next week and experience good food and fellowship and connection. We have opportunities to witness each and every day that we can take advantage of. But we often think, oh, I'll get to it in the future. Instead of saying, the time is now. And the opportunities are today. And and, and what are we going to do with them? Don't ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers in the field and then expect somebody else to do it. Be part of the answer to your own prayers. Pray and then go. And that doesn't mean we've got all the answers and it doesn't mean we just bring this abundance of resources to share with other people. Jesus actually sends us out and creates limitations for them and vulnerability. The missionaries sent out are actually sent out in a way that they experience a sense of what I call reverse hospitality. In other words, they go, but they don't just go in a place of strength, like I have all this to give. We do have strength in giving Jesus away, but he doesn't say, don't go, he's not saying go with a bunch of stuff and share all that stuff. He's actually saying go and learn from the people you're trying to reach. A pivotal point in the movie, as we'll see on Wednesday night, for those who come to watch it or have seen it before, is Jim White has a broken relationship with his daughter in the movie. They're not talking to one another. And he blows the celebration of her 15th birthday. He happens to go into a store to buy something else. And he shares the experience with the shopkeeper, the owner of the store. And the owner of the store says, well, have you thrown her quinceañera? He says, quinceañera, what's that? And the owner of the store explains Hispanic celebration of a girl's 15th birthday. They're coming to age. And that has to be honored and celebrated. And Jim White, played by Kevin Costner, catches a vision for celebrating his daughter. And in that point of celebrating her quinceanera, their relationship is transformed. I know for me, on mission trips, before I thought of, hey, I'm coming to share Jesus, and I have all this to offer. And the best mission trips I've been on in Africa and the Middle East were ones where I came with you know, myself and Jesus with me, but nothing physically to offer But what I experienced was the hospitality of the people I was trying to reach. And in their homes, over six course meals, and through lavish love that I received from them, I was able to share Jesus in those contexts. You see, we need to allow other people to share hospitality with us and reflect care and connection with us if we're going to witness to them. One of my greatest experiences, and I'll start to close with this, is when I was coaching basketball in Pasadena. I was in seminary, and Beth and I's theory in seminary was she was basically the breadwinner while I was going to school, but I needed to make some money that I brought to the table and offered. And so my some money was through coaching basketball at Pasadena High School. My team was made up of 12 African-American kids, two Armenian kids, and one Hispanic kid. There was not a white kid on the basketball team. And they just saw me as like, they actually referred to me as Coach Blanco like they referred to Coach White as Coach Blanco in the movie and called me Blanco at different times, the white guy who was coaching us basketball. But over time, as I listened and learned from them and received their love and support, I had opportunities to share Jesus. I coached basketball at Jackie Robinson's Park in the Midnight Basketball League, and there your game started at either 11, midnight, or 1 a.m., and they often told me, "If you don't walk to the park with us, you will get knifed and killed." So they basically set up a schedule where I picked up one of the members of my team on the way, and they said, "As long as one of us is with us, you, you, one of us is with you, you're fine. But if you go by yourself, you're not going to make it out of the park." But because they had experienced my love and care, Jesus' love and care through me, they welcomed me, supported me. And often said to me, coach, I have your back. Those are the kind of relationships we need to increasingly build in our community. Jesus announced, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. That was the pivotal point of Jesus' message. And still today, the kingdom of God is near. And the harvest is plentiful. The challenge is the workers are few. And we need to reengage in the process of engaging our context with listening ears where we hear from people and we learn from them and we learn to love them in language and in ways that they will ultimately understand. My challenge for us in closing is to take a step, to enter our community and re-enter it and listen to people in our context. You see, our context is unique. It's certainly unique in western Nevada County. And each has its own particular mix of cultural interactions. The gospel, therefore, must be understandable in the language and thought patterns of our context. And the primary need for us as a church is engagement with people in our neighborhoods, which is why it's so important for the church to become skilled in listening to our own setting. Missional life emerges from the kind of listening that connects uh, us with what God might be up to in our particular context. And the church becomes attentive to what's happening through direct involvement with people in our location. The best way to do this is by entering our neighborhood and hanging out with people, joining community organizations, connecting with people across the street or at the local coffee shop, taking walks with people or initiating conversations, doing things that make life rich and meaningful anyway, but doing it with Jesus and on mission for Him. invite you to join me for the film on Wednesday night. It's really a a wonderful depiction of these truths that I'm talking about. That the invitation is to live life on mission with Jesus, to reflect care and connect with people in our community, and ultimately point other people to Him. Because the kingdom of God is near, and the time is short. The question is, what are we going to do with that? My prayer is that we go out and we share Jesus, reflecting our love for Him. Amen.